We looked at where covenant began and how God has always been a covenant God. He was in the Old Testament, he was in the New Testament, and he's still a covenant God today. And I ended by talking to you about how covenant is not only something that impacts you, but it also impacts your lineage, your children, your children's children, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren. It impacts all of your lineage by your response to an invitation from God into covenant. And so this is what we're going to end looking at today. So how can you personally make sure that you align with covenants? Lord, we love you. We are grateful to be here again. We're thankful for every person who is tuning in online, every person who's here in person, people downstairs who are in youth and children's classes. God, I pray that your anointing would rest on everybody doing anything here tonight, not just me, because there's people ministering all over the building tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So God, we realize how we talked about covenant and where he establishes covenant, Abraham, but then he takes his covenant beyond that and he reiterates it and expands it at, at Mount Sinai to the entire nation of Israel, promising to be their God if they remain obedient to him. And But God's people, though, they leave and they start just, they start, as the Bible would say, whoring after other gods. They don't they don't stay and remain with their terms of their covenant. And so they started breaking down and started having issues. And look at what Jeremiah says later. You want to talk about, does God take covenant? Is it really that big of a deal? I talked about that on Sunday. Hath God said, is, is covenant really a huge thing? Take a look, Jeremiah eleven nine. The Lord said to me, a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They are turned their back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. They went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah hath broken my covenant I made with their fathers. So sit tight. We see clearly God says this group of people, my people, have broken my covenant. We all see that in Scripture. Before God says anything about the specific sins, before he starts dealing with, and she did that, and he did that, and you all did that, and this is sin, and that's wrong, and we got to repent, he straight up says, here's where I'm starting. Here's the, the issue, the real problem at hand, and that is this. You broke my covenant. Very clear. And so, remember, a covenant is a binding agreement and relationship between two parties. This was, I got to tell you this story because it's too funny to pass up. So I was on the phone with our attorney for our church. We have hired an attorney who is guiding us through the real estate process. We have a unique process. If you haven't heard, we're trading this facility. If this is news to you, sorry you're hearing it like this, but hey, congrats, here it is. So we're trading this land, trading this building for an, with another church for just over seven acres that they have off of I-35 on the other side of the highway. We're, we're excited. The other church is excited. They're a great group of people. And, and, uh, and so they're going to be coming here. We're going to start sharing space probably sometime in January. And we will have to bump to an afternoon service they, they, because they will own the building. They'll get the morning service. And so some inconvenience, no doubt. We'll share some space. It's not going to be perfect. But the beauty is... We get to have no money in dirt. We trade that for the land, and then we get to use all the money we save to start construction on a new church facility. So praise God. We're excited about that. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. But 
seeing that's a very unique, it's not like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks for this and you give me a receipt. Like, no, we hired an attorney to guide us through the process because there's lease options and there's uh, land being traded for building and all this stuff. Well, so today he was talking to me about our construction and who we're hiring for civil engineering and who we're hiring for pr prints and what's the liability and who's liable for what and what's the insurance coverages. And so I was contacting Johnny, who's helping us build the church, and then I'm contacting him. And we're going through all this stuff that's way above my pay grade and understanding. And uh, I'm like, all right, yeah, good, good point. Let me call Johnny. And so we're going back and forth, and I kept stopping and taking calls, and I was like, ah... And I was telling him, I was like, he's like, what are you doing right now? I said, man, I'm trying to work on a message for this weekend, and y'all keep bothering me, and we're kind of laughing. And he says, well, maybe in the midst of all our discussion, God will give you a message. The, the, my attorney said this. He said, because uh, isn't the Bible, it's a book of covenants, and so maybe you'll get a message on covenants. <laughs> and I said, Jason, you know what's funny? I said, is we are wrapping up our second week of a series on covenants. And he said, well, look at that. He said, it's very important because covenants are made so much, they're so important because covenants clarify expectations. And so, just like a marriage covenant, I'm making a covenant with my wife. Well, just in this, we're going to a building. Okay, who's liable? Who's responsible? Are there draws? How much of the draw? How much do you expect? What if the job's not done? What if uh, materials are stolen? What if something is it the subcontract, the general contractor? Is it us? Who carries the liability of things? And so we, we need to have all this stuff in, in writing and establish a contract or a covenant because then it's a mutually binding agreement between two parties. And so it's not just the act of sin itself. God doesn't just come in and say, all right, you did this. this. No, he's like, no, here's the issue. You broke the covenant. It's the fact that even though the God of heaven chose to bind himself into an agreement with his creation, the creation did not place enough value in the agreement to adhere by the guidelines that were set forth. Because at the end of the day, stepping outside of covenant is really saying, God, I wanted something more than what you would give. Right? And so that's why someone can make covenants and they can say, I'm going to go ahead and step outside the covenant. Why? Because lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, because I want something that's beyond what I'm getting right now. So I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get more for myself and whatever that is. And so God says to his people in the Old Testament when they broke the covenant, now again, how serious is God about covenant? Look at Jeremiah 34 18. Because you've broken my covenant, the terms of our covenant, I'll cut you apart just as you cut apart the calf when you walk between its halves to Solomonize your vow. Now, that, <laughs> I read that and I go, uh, I'm pretty confident God was very serious about covenant. And he says, yep. You heard me right. I'll cut you apart. Whether you are officials of Judah or Jerusalem, court officials, priests, or common people, 
for you've broken your oath. In other words, he's saying, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you rank. I don't care what your title is. I don't care if you just walked into the church yesterday, if you're the pastor, if you run the whole organization. It don't matter. If you're in covenant relationship with me, there are terms that we agree to. And if you say that, ah, I'm done with covenant with you, then, then to me, that's a big deal. I don't care who you are. There's covenant that's established, an agreement. The punishment was based on broken covenant because God is more than a fling. He is, he says, the church is his bride. We take on his name. And so even the spiritual leaders, not only there, but later in the Old Testament, Malachi, even the spiritual leaders were also held accountable. Malachi 2, verse 7, it says, the words of a priest's lips should persevere knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction. For the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused to st uh, many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of hosts. And so it's the Lord of he heaven's armies. So he, here he is. You leave that up there. He's saying, just like he said last time, I don't care if you're a common person, brand new, priest, high priest, don't matter. There's an expectation of covenant that when you entered into this agreement, it was mutually binding. I was willing to really humble myself as God to make a covenant with my people in the first place. And so now I'm talking to the, to the priests. I'm talking to people who are supposed to be the mouthpiece of God. You guys are at fault, he says, because you have led the people astray. And that's why, too, even when I preach today, there's messages that I preach that I get up and I'm so pumped to preach. I'm so excited. And then there's other messages that, to be honest, I got to pray, and I got, oh, God, help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord, because I'm going to follow the voice of God. But there's times where the messages are not easy to preach. They're not exciting to preach. It's sometimes it's a call to repent, to change, to give, to serve. Things that people today are just not, oh, repent, give, change, serve. Not really excited about those things, you know. But, but when God speaks, I'm accountable not only for everything that I preach, but I'm also accountable for everything I do not preach. Because one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say things like, hey, I, you were my mouthpiece and I gave you words to say and you didn't. You led the people astray. You, you caused them to stumble. And so that's a responsibility that I don't take lightly. And so here he's saying you have he, his biggest complaint about the priest was what? It's found in that last verse. You have corrupted the covenant. Again, it's about covenant. And so it's safe to say that, especially in the Old Testament, into the New Testament, covenant was everything. It was not just the act, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, he told Abraham, go get, get the men child, get them circumcised. And oh, yep, they need to go over here because the next covenant was they had to do this. And then the next covenant is they had to come not without blood. And they had to go through the washing and the cleansing. And sometimes we put emphasis on the actual killing of the animal or pouring out the blood or the circumcision or the washing or the, or the pouring the blood on the mercy seat. And those are all things that were crucial, were key. Scripture said they needed to die that they or needed to wash that they die not. And so these are crucial components. But overall, it was not the killing of the animal. It was not the shedding of the blood. It was not the washing and the cleansing. It was all those things that came together to, to form what? The covenant. 
If you're going to be my people, these are the things that you do to get into covenant with me. They're important components. I'm not saying they're not important components, but it's understanding that the components were a part of a larger whole. And that is, this is the mutually abiding agreement between me and you as my people. And so covenant was everything. It was not simply system or structure. Or stru structure. It was not just meant to be rote religion. When you come in here, if you walk in and sit down, you're like, okay, music starts. I stand up. I raise my hands. I sit back down. I pull out my pocketbook. I, I, I you know, now we don't pull out our pocketbook. Now we scan to the app and we, and we, we click send and we give money and sit down. Then I serve, serve on my ministry. They put me on a schedule. I come when I'm supposed to come and then I come back next week and I do the same thing. It's not just about the traditions and the in the the experiences not just the participation but it's understanding that i'm a part of covenant relationship with a god who's alive and who wants to be in covenant with all kinds of people and so i want to reach these people so that i can introduce them to the god that i know and they can have the same experiences that i've had and i can make disciples and show them that living for god is exciting it's not religion and rules and regulations it is when i get into covenant with god there are things that i want to do for him and with him as i continue to grow in this beautiful covenant relationship and so God wanted his people to live by the parameters of covenant, as I keep explaining. My wife and I entered into a covenant relationship, November 4th, 2006, getting ready to celebrate here, 15 years coming up in just a couple weeks. But I don't want her to just go through life mindlessly and without passion. I would expect that she will continue to adhere to the initial parameters set forth when, when she took her covenant, we entered into this mutually binding agreement. I didn't, I don't want her to be like, that was 15 years ago. Like, okay, <laughs> remember the end parts until death do us part. So I hope we're still adhering to that covenant. Well, some of you have received the gift of the Spirit, been baptized in Jesus' name 15, 20, 35, 45, 55 years ago. Well, I hope that we're still aligning with covenant because really it's if I'm the bride of Christ, it's till death do us part. And the beauty is death doesn't actually do us part. It actually, uh, to, be, to be dead is to be with Christ. And so the term Old Testament means old will or plan. The term New Testament means new will or plan. That does not mean, I come across people sometimes, well, yeah, that's the Old Testament. I don't have to read that. I don't have to do that. That's the Old Testament. As in like everything in the Old Testament is just gone. Like why do they keep printing that? We don't have to know anything about that. But not everything in the Old Testament is just gone. Really to have the truest understanding of the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament. Because as the saying goes, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so everything in the Old Testament, when you read through the lens of Jesus Christ and you see that, oh, wow, I can see the prophecy about a child and a savior and blood being shed and a beard being plucked and a cross. And I can see, I can see God's plan through this whole thing just by reading that Old Testament and how it reveals how covenant of the Old Testament sets the stage for the covenant of the New Testament. 
And so there is a new plan and a new way because in the Old Testament, the covenant was Abraham, get all the men, child, circumcised, eight days old. He did that. Okay, in the covenant relationship, you're going to come once a year, not without blood. You need to wash that you die not as you go through an Old Testament, Testament tabernacle. And, and so there were covenant parameters that were established. But then he says, well, there's a new plan, a new way. It does not mean that that now is something, oh, we never needed that. That was foolish. It was a waste of time. No, the law of the Old Testament, Paul says it was a schoolmaster. It was something that taught them, hey, I need a savior. I need this plan. I, can, I can't live perfect. So this shows me that I have a deeper need. And so as they go through, they would try to follow 613. Could you imagine following 613 different commands? And if you nailed 612 of them, you still aren't good enough. If you nailed 612 out of 613, you still were not good enough. And so, God has a plan that says, now I'm, I've delivered you. You missed it in the beginning, Adam and Eve. Sin entered the world. I let you kind of experience some things. You went to bondage. Now I've delivered you. I got a land of promise. I have a plan for you, but there's going to be also a law. And I'm going to write this law on tables of stone and you're going to see how well you can do following it. And it didn't take long for them to go. We're not doing very well. And so he would keep reaching out through prophets and telling them, you're not following the law. You're not following the covenant. You're breaking the covenant. No, and they'd try and come back, and then they'd go away, and then they'd come back, and they'd go away. I just took you through the whole Old Testament in just a few minutes. But then he says, we're going to go to the New Testament and a new will and a new plan. I'm not changing. I still demand covenant. That never changes. But look what he says in Jeremiah 31. He says, the day is coming, meaning it's not here yet. But on the horizon, I'm getting you ready. When I will make a new covenant. With the people of Israel and with Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. So everybody say, it's different. But it's still covenant. See, I, I, you were unsure on that last part. You're like, are we still supposed to be repeating? I'm not sure. Because he said clearly repeat after me the first time. The second time he didn't, so I was uncertain. I like the bold people, though. Just like, I'm going to let it fly, see what happens. <laughs> They're usually the sanguines of the group. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I loved them as a husbandless. Oh, man, this beautiful. He constantly emphasizes his bride. That's who we are to Christ. He says, they broke that, but this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel after those days. I will put my instructions on tables of stone. Oh, no, no. Actually, we already tried that once. No, this new one is going to be better than the old one, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my instructions deep within them. This time, I'm going to write the covenant 
on their hearts. I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. If I was God dealing with me, I would have left me on the side of the road a long time ago. But God looks at humanity, and he's like, yeah, there was Adam and Eve. Yeah, they went to Egypt. Yeah, they did this. Yeah, but they, they worshiped a golden calf. Yeah, they, you know, they, Jonah, he ran from me, and I had to get a whale to eat him up. And then, yeah, they, they started doing all kinds of sin. Yeah, then they ended up in exile, but he just keeps reaching to us. And I read this story in the Old Testament, I'm like, why, 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 leave him, you know. Leave them. Forget them. What are they doing? But if I say that too much, then I'd be saying, there I am. Leave me. Leave me. Forget me. Forget me. Because guess what? I mess up too. And yet you read these stories, and he's like, last time I tried tables of stone, 630 humans. This time I'm going to write my covenant. I'm not going to ditch covenant. I'm not going to forget covenant. I'm still a covenant God. That will never change. But this time, my covenant's getting written on their hearts. Because I still want them after all these years and after all these failures, after all these people letting me down, I still love them like a husband loves his bride. That's why through the prophet Hosea, he has him marry. He says, go marry Gomer. Go marry a woman who is literally a, a, a whore. And make her your wife. He's like, uh, no, no, no. I want to prove something to the people of Israel. And he has her, and he marries her, and then what is it? Just a little bit of time. She goes, starts sleeping with different guys. And they take her to the public auction block, ready? I mean, you could kill her, sell her, whatever you want. And he says, now go and buy your wife back as a public example to my people. Imagine the prophet. What? She's cheated on me. How many times? My reputation's at stake. She slept with all these guys in the town. You tell me to go buy her back? Yeah. Go buy her back because I want Israel to see. That's a type and shadow of my relationship. I created you once. I already, I, already, I already made you. But you turned and walked away from me as a bride leaves her husband. But I love you so much that I'm willing to come back and purchase you a second time. And that's exactly what he gets ready to do on Calvary. He created us. He could have said, you messed up. You're out of here. But he says, no, you messed up. You let me down. You cheated on me. But I love you so much. I'm going to come by you again. I thank God for that. But it still revolves around covenant. So he says, he broke the covenant. But my new covenant, verse 33, I'm going to put in your heart. How in the world are you going to do that? So it's referring to the time when instead of just trying to follow rules and stone laws, he said, I'm going to do something different. Ezekiel speaks about the same thing. Verse 26, a new heart will I also give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I'm going to take out the, away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I am going to put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. What is one of the purposes of his spirit? To walk in his statutes. 
Receiving the Spirit of God is not just I want to get to heaven. That's absolutely part of it. But it is the daily living of, hey, before you try to follow 613 commands etched in stone. Now, I'm going to put something in you. It's going to be my spirit, and that is what will cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land I gave to your fathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. This has always been, since the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, I'm going to walk with you in the garden. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. It's the, what ha God has always desired through the whole history of the Bible is just walk in covenant with me so you can be my bride and I can be your God and you'll be my people. He goes in John 14, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. Why? So that where I am, you may be also. This has always been the desire of God. To be with his creation, to love his creation, to love his bride, to be with her forever. And so he says, listen, that first plan, it, it brought you to this point, but it's not going to fulfill. Now I got a better plan, a new covenant. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and that is what is going to cause you to walk in my statutes. Instead of looking at the law and saying, we got to try and follow these 613 commands today. Now it's, I got the spirit of God in me, and, I, and, there, and there's a conscience. There's a leading of the spirit that dwells inside of me that leads and guides my life. And so he says, I'm going to put my spirit inside you. And notice that the covenant now is moving from law of stone to, to God's spirit in our hearts. And, and the apostle Paul tries to connect this for us as he writes in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. I'm going to read a lot of scripture, so read with me. This is what he writes to the church in Corinth in his second letter. He says, he has enabled us to be ministered, ministers of his new covenant. So Paul understands He's writing to a church, and he understands we are now under the new covenant. He did not say, remember in the old covenant, he says, a day is coming, a new covenant is coming. We can understand based on that translation. It's not there yet. It's on the horizon. Paul's writing, he says, now we are ministers of the new covenant, meaning it's already transpired. This is where we are. Because Paul was also dealing with people in the first century that were thinking about going back into the old covenant. They were thinking about forcing things on Gentiles and still forcing circumcision, a physical circumcision. Paul goes, no, it's a spiritual one now with the washing of water. It's not, it's not just a physical thing anymore. And, and yeah, we, want, we need to kill animals because there has to be bloodshed. Paul says, no, you're crucifying Christ afresh. We don't have to kill animals anymore. That pointed us to this moment, but the blood of Jesus Christ is what washes and takes away the sin of the world. And so Paul's trying to make this connection for people. Because change is hard, isn't it? Don't say amen to that because we're changing a lot of things right now. And so you didn't even say amen. I like it. You all are like, man, we've been changing so much. We're ready now. So anyway, so the old covenant, he says, Paul's trying to make the connection of this is where you were. You don't have to do this. Now here's where we are. So he's like, we're ministers of the new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, 
but of the Spirit. So I want you to see, even if you say, well, I don't believe in the Spirit of God, I don't see how you can say that. Because the Spirit of God is found throughout the Old Testament. It's prophesied about. Ezekiel's clearly talking about the Spirit of God. Paul's clearly talking about the Spirit of God. And so people can say, well, it's not for us. I don't see how you can say that. He keeps saying the Spirit is for us. It's there to lead us, to guide us, to write His law in our hearts. And so he says, it's not of the law, but it's the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, which laws were etched in stone, led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. He's referencing back to the old covenant where it started on Mount Sinai. He's going, this is where it started. It was a great and glorious start, but it didn't last. He says, but that was awesome, and God's glory was there, and Moses came down with a shiny face. He said, but guess what, verse 8, Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way with, with, that the Holy Spirit is giving life? We say, oh man, it'd be so awesome to live back there and see the Red Sea part. You know what Moses and every other believer would say? I can't even skip the Red Sea. I can't imagine living in a time where God literally takes his spirit, his own spirit, and he, and he puts it in the hearts of people. And we don't have to read 613 commands, but I'm in this time of grace where God's spirit leads me in everyday living that's what I want you can have the Red Sea parting and he says if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious how much glorious is the new way which makes us right with God what's another term for making us right with God that's right standing that's justification and so, in fact, that the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory we got. That was great, but when you really compare it, it's got nothing on what we have today. And so he says, so if the glory, or if the old way, verse 11, which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Verse 12, since this new way gives us much confidence, such confidence, we can be very bold. Are we very bold? I hope we are. So we can be very, very bold. We're not like Moses, he says, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and imagine, imagine Paul teaching this to a group of people who were trying to transition out of that. He's making it very clear, is he not? He says, Moses, put a veil over his faith. He says, but the people's minds were hard in verse 14. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. But that veil can only be removed by believing in Christ Jesus. This is the only way that you have to have an understanding of what God wants to do. It's not condemnation following rules and regulations, but when you understand the spirit of God and his work in your life and the way that he wants to lead and guide your daily living and write his law in your heart, it can remove the veil from your eyes where you can see clearly. And so, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, he says the veil is taken away for the Lord is a spirit, is the spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed, past tense has already happened, 
can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, that's a little oneness for you. There's not Father, Son, and Spirit. He says, the Lord, who is the Spirit, he says, makes us more and more like him as we are changed. Sounds like a process, doesn't it? We need God's spirit in our lives so that every day we can walk with his law written on our hearts so that each and every day I can be more and more like him. I want us, and I'm sure you feel the same way, I want to continue to be changed into his glorious image. I want to reflect Jesus Christ in Laws on stone did not do that, but when he put his spirit in me and he gave me a sign, he, that's what's beautiful is even in the Old Testament covenant, hey, here's my promise, but there's a rainbow, it's a token. Here's my promise, Abraham, there's a token, it's going to be circumcision. Here's my promise, oh, there's going to be a pillar of fire that goes above the tabernacle that says that my spirit's there. Here's my promise, everything had a covenant, but then a token, a covenant or, or a sign. New Testament, hey, here's my promise. I'm going to put my spirit in you. My, I'm, you're going to walk after my ways. And, and you know what the sign is, the token? You're going to speak with other tongues as the spirit gives you the utterance. That way, too, I'm a covenant-making God, but I always give tokens of my covenant. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's the promise, but here's how you know you have the promise. And so all of us that had the veil removed, he says, it's, it's, it's making us like it into his glorious image. The new covenant is allowing God to fill us with his spirit. His spirit is what will lead us into all things. It's a better version than what was initially established with the law of Moses. And that's not out of my words. This is the Bible. This is why the theme of Hebrews is better things. Hebrews 8, 6, and 7. Check it out. But now Jesus, our high priest, again, connecting it back to the Old Testament, there was a high priest, right? He says, Jesus is now our high priest. In the Old Testament, you had to go in, a high priest would come in, not without blood, for all the sins of the people. I wish I had weeks I could teach on this in depth. You can study yourself or take a moment to just trust me, but I challenge you, go check it out. So the high priest, one time a year, carry the blood, pours it on the mercy seat, and that would atone for, push off the sins of the nation for another year until he could do it again. So Paul, or not Paul, actually, whoever wrote Hebrews, actually, I don't think it was Paul, but some people do, so, uh, wrote Hebrews, where writers unsure. You can tell me your theories later. But... Whoever writes Hebrews says, hey, eloquently, Jesus is our high priest. He's been given a ministry far superior to the old priesthood. For he's the one that mediates for us because they mediated between God and man. But Jesus mediates for us a, a far better covenant. We're not not under covenant now because we went to the New Testament. It's just a far better covenant. This is why we're not saying, hey, on Sunday, make sure that you bring the first firstlings of the flock. We're going to be killing them up here. We're going to have a tarp on the altar and slice their throats. Who's helping me with the animal sacrifice this week? Not too many people. And we'd have people protesting and walking with signs in our yard and because that's what they used to do. We don't have to do that anymore because 
John looks at Jesus when he steps on the scene. Hey, behold the Lamb of God that takes away, once and for all, done. Takes away the sin of the world. We don't need to keep killing animals. He takes away the sin. And he says it's a far better covenant based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. It was a schoolmaster, did his job for the moment, but it's not faultless. It brought us to this moment. And the writer of Hebrews is saying this because he was writing to the people who were thinking about going back to the old covenant. We need to go back to that. But he says in verse 13, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. That, doesn't, that does not say the Old Testament is now obsolete. Parameters of the covenant and animal sacrifice and, and some of the, the necessity of a physical circumcision and, and you need to eat certain things and dress and, and not wear mixed threads with a 50% a cotton and 50% rayon. You can't do that. No, he, that, that part. Is, is not there. But there are certain principles. When it says, thou shalt not kill, guess what? It's not good to kill in the New Testament in 2021 either. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Is that still, that's still, that's still pretty rock solid. Don't commit adultery. That's still something we don't do. So there are moral principles established in the Old Testament that are still standing. You need to know the Old Testament. We don't just write the Old Testament off. But when it comes to covenant, specific parameters of the covenant, when God speaks of a new covenant, it says it means he made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. And so, I'm almost done. With his sacrificial death, Jesus established this new covenant between himself, between God, and anyone not just the Jews. In the Old Testament, it was just for the Israel, just for Jewish people. But he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the doors for covenant. And anyone who responds to God in faith with obedience, that's his new covenant. He says, I have a plan. I already paid the price. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. The blood's been shed. No more animals to kill. I went to Calvary. And now, instead of laws etched in stone, I want to put my spirit in your heart. But here's the thing. I've gone to prepare a place for you. But in order to enter my kingdom, he says, we need to be born of the water and of the spirit. And so, I want you to take on my name in the waters of baptism so you can enter into that covenant relationship as my bride. And then I want to place my spirit inside of you so that it will cause you to walk in my statutes. And instead of trying to look at the laws and do everything you need to do and feel condemnation constantly for failing and falling, you can say, God, continue to perfect me and make me more like you. Lead me by your spirit each and every day. God, I want your spirit inside of me, not just to get me to heaven, but each day to make me a reflection of who it is that you want me to be. And now anybody can repent of their sins 
That's why John is the forerunner to Christ. He steps on the scene, starts baptizing people unto repentance. There was no name yet. It was not in the name of Jesus. That's why John's followers in John and Acts 19 get rebaptized in the name of Jesus. But it went from the law, and there was this transitional time where John was the forerunner to Christ to get people ready for Christ's message. But he started baptizing people unto repentance, a mindset change that says, I, I, I got to start living differently. I got I to gotta be open to this experience. I got I to gotta, I gotta stop where, where I'm headed and turn away from that and start trying to live different. It was a preparation phase for what was because even then, it's a mindset change, but there was no name. There was nothing that actually washed away the sin. But then Jesus Christ dies on a cross, sheds his blood, tells his followers, wait in the upper room. And he pours out his spirit upon all flesh. And it just starts spreading to not just Jewish people, but all of a sudden some people in Samaria. And all of a sudden, the, a jailer. And, and, and it just starts, just starts going to cultures and societies and skin colors and genders and age groups. And he, and he, and he just starts spreading it. And now to this day, any, any person in any part of the world can repent of their sins. They can take on that name and enter into that covenant as the bride of Christ. And God will put his spirit inside of you. And he even gives you a sign of the token of that, the, the token of that promise. And when you're doing that, it's more than following a local church or some rules or regulations. Or, okay, check, 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 check the box. Hopefully I can go to heaven. No, it's me saying, oh, if I want to be your bride, if this is the new covenant, I want to be a part of it. Yeah, but it just seems crazy to me, God putting his spirit upon all flesh. Uh, it is the first time maybe you hear about it, but when you study, if you have an open mind, you will see it in Scripture. Because it's clear. Imagine in the Old Testament when he says, all right, don't eat the fruit of the tree. What's the big deal? I can't eat one, I can't eat one tree's fruit. That seems crazy. Hey, build a boat 450 feet long, 75 feet high, 45 feet wide. I'm going I'm to I'm flood the earth with water. What? All right, now look up in the sky. There's some random colors, five colors just going through like this. It's kind of in an arc. And, 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 and like a bow. And that's a promise. What in the world? If you never saw a rainbow, and all of a sudden today you saw, tomorrow you saw a rainbow, you'd be like, what? There's colors coming from the sky. Tell a 90-year-old guy to go get circumcised? 100-year-old guy to go get circumcised? Uh, this is weird. Kill an animal. Set up badger skins around this tent and everybody gather around and then you're going to go through this process of going into this place called the holiest of holies. Uh, all right. Seems weird. But God says his thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways aren't our ways. He's got a plan. And we either question his plan and say, nah, it's crazy. Or we align with his plan. The Bible tells us, here's my plan. Here's what happens if you follow it. Here's what happens if you don't. Here's what I got for you. It's up to you. And so might sound crazy speaking in tongues and getting the Holy Ghost and sins washing away. It's his plan. And so humanity either says, 
I want to be a part of that. That's too weird. I don't know. But you think about what's normal in our world today. Let's talk about that and if that's weird or not. I mean, just think about it. You guys are weird. You jump in water and get baptized? That's strange. I'm leaving now to take a roll of paper that has nicotine in it, and I'm going to light it on fire and suck the smoke out of it and inhale it in my lungs. That's weird. I'm just saying, don't let the, the ways of the world try to define what's weird in the church. Okay? If God says, wear a purple suit on Sunday and pink shoes, I won't like it very much. But I'm going to do it. Because Abraham, guarantee you, 100 years old, he was not like, yeah, hey, honey, I'm going to get circumcised. Woo! Every guy in here is uncomfortable just thinking about that. My Lord. But do you know when he says this, the parameters of my covenant is what I want you to do? Do you know scripture says he went that self same day? God, is this a part of the covenant? This is going to stink in a lot of ways. But I ain't letting it break my covenant. Get the kids. Come on. I'm leaving. We're going right now. Where, where are we doing this? I'll get this done. I refuse to do anything that removes covenant between me and my Savior. And so today, understanding covenant, the whole book you cannot understand the Bible if you do not understand covenant. The whole thing is covenant. And he, the beauty is there's so much personal application here. It's not just the story of history. He loves you so much that he is inviting you into covenant. He wants to wash away your sins. He wants to forgive you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. If you've already received that, part of the reason he did that is because he bought back what was already his and he just wants to put his spirit in you, keep perfecting you and making you into his image. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't have to say, oh, I'm, I'm messed up again, I'm done. No, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so today, we can find a place to pray. If you've never received the Spirit on a Wednesday night, I'm telling you, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost tonight before you leave. You can be baptized, have your sins washed away. If you've done that, then I think that we still need to find a place right now where we just go, God, let me never take for granted the covenant in which I live. 
Lord, help me never to just think, oh yeah, and, and walk in flippant, and oh yeah, another day of worship, another altar call, another message, another time worship, another gift, another offering. No, God, everything I do, I do it because I want to be in covenant with you, because I, I don't want to be the one that you say, you broke my covenant. No, I want to stand before you and say, hear you say, well done, well done. Enter thou in this place that I've been preparing for you, because why? Because wherever I am, that's where I've always wanted you to be. That's what his plan has been through the history of humankind. Why? Because God loves his creation. And that's why he's willing to enter the parameters of covenant. Would you find a place to pray right now? In Jesus' name.